Hey guys, welcome to episode three of I Have a Question. Yes, some of you might have thought, wow, what a sellout. Two episodes and can't even follow up with the third. Well, I'm here to tell you that I'm not a sellout, but apparently I am terrible at being on tour and making podcasts at the same time. Once I, I hit the road, you know, I had the intention of really wanting to stay on top of this because this podcast is something I've wanted to do for so long and I am really proud of it. But, you know, I went on tour for the You, Me and Us tour and it was amazing and magical and wonderful and it was so much work and I kind of feel like my podcast fell on the back burner. Now that being said, a great thing about being on this tour that I was just on was that I, you know, had the opportunity to make a lot of new friends and you know, when you're on the bus and you have hours and hours and hours of driving ahead of you, there's only so many, you know, phone games you can play and and YouTube videos you can watch before you find yourself having conversations with the people around you, which is amazing and awesome. And so through a lot of stimulating conversations, it got me thinking, you know, what has been your most life-changing moment thus far? Um. <laughs> um, okay, so... Stuff like this. Stuff like this is my favorite. My most life-changing moment thus far... Oh, what? So it's not, it's not exactly a happy one, I would have to say. Is it running? Yeah. Uh, my... Most life-changing moment thus far is, uh, I think, like, going out on tour with Garrett, because, like, I mean, it's, it's just shows, like, we've gone a lot of places, and, like, me growing up from where I grew up and, like, you know, the background that I've been around, and it's hard to see a lot of people grow up and to be able to do, like, those things, like, going out to Europe and just traveling in the world and, like, playing shows in front of people. And so, like... Yeah, I think that's the best thing because like it's really showing me that like even though it's not, I mean in a sense so it's my it's part of my dream to be able to travel the world and play music, but I know it's more so Garrett's dream. Like, yeah, it's my dream too. But like seeing like his dream like actually come true, I know that my dream still has like work to you know things to accomplish. But like seeing his like come true is just kind of it's kind of cool to know that like dreams do come true, and that's like reassuring. So that's like kind of the best thing. The most life-changing moment in my life was when I signed uh, my label Happy Sad over to Atlantic Records. And um, basically it was kind of a, it, it was a tough decision. It wasn't a tough decision because of anything that had to do with them. It just was a tough decision because I was an independent artist and there's a stigma, stigma that comes in the music industry and in popular perception with signing to a major label that it's kind of like a, a bad thing to do and that people kind of look down on it because you're not indie and all that anymore and my whole thing was that I, I found a company that believed in me and my music as much as as me as a person and they put all of that over the industry and on the other side of things I had just come out of college and uh, I finished my first four years and graduated from USC and I didn't have the money for four more years of law school even though I kind of wanted to pursue music law um, and I also wasn't going to get that money from my parents. And in fact, they were about to have to sell the house that I grew up in, um, in Los Angeles. And so I didn't want to see that happen either. 
And so uh, I, you know, started taking meetings with labels and uh, with my catalog of work and the people that I work with. Atlantic Records was the only option that I found suitable for uh, housing my stuff. And uh, it's been wonderful. And uh, and I wouldn't change a thing about it. But that was definitely the most life-changing moment of my life is when I signed my record label over to Atlantic Records. It was like the second time I was kicking it with my friend Cecil. Um, and at this point, we had been like, we just had been like, I wouldn't say rivals, but just we weren't friends. We knew of each other for a minute, and we just didn't fuck with each other. And then we had to come together because my best friend started working with him on music. So it just became like, all right, fine, we'll kick it. So the second time we're kicking it, we're at Cecil's house, and his mom comes up and goes, Cat, she goes, you guys look hungry. Like, you, you guys need to get food. Like, stop working and get food. And we're like, no, it's all good. We're good. And she goes, no, no, no. You guys need to eat right now. So we're like, all right, fine. And then she gives us $100 and says, go get something to eat. There's like Quiznos had just opened over on Melrose and La Brea. So we're like, all right, we'll go to Quiznos. So we all hop in my car. It's like eight dudes in this SUV. And we drive over to Quiznos. Go to Quiznos, we get our food, we chop it up, we take it to go, we get in my car. Now, this is the moment. <laughs> uh, I hop in my car, and we're driving out. And we had just so happened, like, the first time I kicked it with Cecil, we watched this show called Maui Fever. And there was this chick on the show called Shantae. And I remember she did, like, this dance move. And I was like, yo, I'm for show gonna meet that chick one day. And I'm going to smash. <laughs> so we're pulling out. This is the second or third time we're chilling. Of this parking lot behind, on like the back of Melrose. And I see her with this light-skinned chick. And I'm like, yo, I put my head fully out of my window while I'm driving. I'm like, yo, hold up. Are you Shantae? And she goes, yeah, I'm Shantae. Who the fuck are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm Matthew. Uh, nice to meet you. She goes, yeah, 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 okay. She goes, this your car? I'm like, yeah, this is my car. She goes, oh, okay, for sure, I see you. And I was like 16 and she's about 21. And she goes, yo, give your number to my sister. And I was like, for sure. <laughs> Gave my number to her sister. Long story short, her sister became one of my closest friends and started taking me out all the time when I was a kid and started introducing me to a whole bunch of different people in the music industry. And like, I was just a really young kid, not from the Hollywood world, like, been going to private school my whole life off the back of my parents, just putting everything behind it. And all of a sudden, 17, still in high school, they opened my whole mind up to like everything that was kind of going on around me in a city I've grown up my whole life and just never seen. So I met this guy, Greg Whitman, who was the first person who took a risk on me and like literally moved me from Atlanta to LA, got me my own crib and like started like helping me learn everything about music, like put me in every studio and introduced me to all the producers and all these people that started giving me knowledge and investors and literally because I because we just took this adventure one day one person literally opened up my whole life to a whole bunch of shit and I always we I think we all credited to that day it just was it was just kind of this uh snowball effect that came out of serendipity but yeah uh it always comes to mind 
Uh, yes, hell yeah, I smashed Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> I met her May 3rd, Cinco de Mayo, we smashed. And like, it was, they put, I think they put it on TMZ because we were hooking up in like this kitchen and like people knew who she was. So they started snapping, like not snapping back then, they were just taking pictures and videotaping and sent it to TMZ. Uh, yeah, so that was, <laughs> I was like, yo, what the fuck is going on in my life? But she knows. And I, I told her I was 21 for like the first seven months of knowing her. So, <laughs> yeah. That's what happens sometimes. Um, moving to L.A. to pursue music because my parents are extremely religious Jewish people. And um, everything about this lifestyle was contradictory to everything that they know to be a healthy and positive lifestyle. And so I think that the biggest challenge was kind of initially moving and then proving to them that, you know, this is like a sustainable lifestyle, like I'm okay like, I can support myself, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And now we're in a good place. So I'm really happy. That's awesome. <laughs> but that was, that was the hardest thing. Do they support your music? Yeah. I mean, my mom listens to it more than my dad, for sure. But my dad's, like, more interested in who I'm working with and, like, what I'm doing. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if my music's, like, their type of music. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's weird. It's an interesting question. My most life-changing moment thus far has probably been moving um, from L.A. to Austin in January of 2015, not that long ago, um, because it was the first time I shifted home base for the most part. I mean, I had gone to college and stuff, but hadn't uh, totally shifted what I was calling home. Not that I don't visit anymore, but, um, and just like all the circumstances surrounding it like changing like it was like the first time I was like yes I'm gonna go after music like part of that felt like going after music for the first time um, I'm gonna like get my life together enough to pay rent every month on time and like do that I don't know it just felt like a very like like a statement thing also I was traveling with people who meant a lot to me and like I don't know it all felt very symbolic every day being in the car like on the way to this because we drove um, so like being on the way to this like new life so like it was a very symbolic road trip and like just a few days and weeks even like right after I got there. Um, and so yeah, I don't know, that just totally changed my perspective. I mean the world got a lot bigger for me then. So yeah. Um well when I was in my freshman year of college, I hope you don't mind this might be a little bit of a long story. When I was in my freshman year of college um, I was having a really hard time completing work, which was like a super not something that I wasn't used to. And so I went to a doctor who prescribed, said I was like, had ADHD, which is something that I'd never, you know, had before. And in addition to that, he said I had, you know, social anxiety and general anxiety and generalized depression and like all this crazy shit that I never had dealt with before. And so his, his remedy for it was to medicate me really heavily. And I wasn't used to that, but I, you know, you trust a professional all the time. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. And the, the medication got so heavy, like especially Xanax, which I was prescribed. Like you have to take so many a day because your body gets used to it so quickly. So there got to be a point where I was like taking like four Xanax a day and like an antidepressant and Adderall and like all this crazy shit to the point where it drove me so crazy that I had to like drop out of college. Like it got to so bad that I was like, I can't function. Like I was walking outside and I would take like three hour walks and then I would pass out in like the corner of a street in a closed building 
for 10 to 15 minutes and no one would help me. And it was just like really fucking intense. And I remember one time I was like three blocks away from my building and I called like two of my best friends that were like in our friend group and no one like would answer their phones. The only people, this person that did like wasn't into helping me all this crazy shit. And I was like, I have to leave New York. Like this isn't like the place to be. So I left New York and I think the most life-changing experience is I was like, you know what, I'm fine. Like I just have all these disorders, but like my medication is gonna help me when the truth is like that's what was prohibiting me from like creating and like having conversations and like being a person. So I got back to LA and, and I decided that I was gonna quit Adderall, like cold turkey, because Adderall in my opinion is like the worst drug. Like it, it, it really fucked with my head. So I stopped it, cold turkey and two months, not even two months, I think probably like a month into it, my friends from New York, my four best friends came into town and we decided to like get in a jacuzzi and like drink alcohol and like have a good time. And I remember at one point we were like, I remember we were in a jacuzzi and, and this girl who was one of my best friends at the time ended up like scooting her arm and we were all drunk and she got a huge cut on her arm. And I was like, I looked at her and I was like, holy shit, you're bleeding like a lot. And she was freaking out. So I was like, I'm going to go and get you gauze. So I went to her bathroom and I couldn't find anything. And in my drunken state, I was like, I'm going to drive my car to CVS and I'm going to get her gauze. And I was totally like there and everything. But I had just got out of the jacuzzi. I threw a dress on. I got in my car. I was driving halfway through me driving to get this girl gauze. I blacked out. And in that blacked out period, apparently, I don't remember this, I crashed into a truck that was parked. No damage to the truck. My car was kind of fucked, not fully. It really wasn't that bad of an accident, but apparently I got out of my car and I was running down the street and the airbag had gone off and like hurt my nose, so I was bleeding and my shoes were off and I was running down the street and I, I ran into two people who were driving a different car and the only thing I said is that I had to help my friend because she was bleeding. And I don't remember any of this. These people put me in, my, in their car. They drove to my car, <laughs> called a towing company, and got my car towed without the police involved or anything. And the other truck that got in the accident never called because they had no problems with their car. But I, like, went back to my house that night totally blackout drunk, like, told my mom that, like, all this, like, crazy shit. And then two days later, my parents said they were taking me to group therapy and I was checked into like a rehab center like that was it and it was like <laughs> that was like the fruition of like me not being able to work to what I thought I was going to be able to to all of a sudden like the medication because when you're on medication your like tolerance is super low so from me being on all this medication for someone who thought I had all these problems to like me being in this program I was there from you know 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. every day for three months it was like an outpatient, but it was like, it was intense, you know? It taught me like how to train myself to, to kind of keep my head down and like, you know, go through this. And like, I was super in my head all the time. The things that I thought were emotions were really just like logisticalized feelings. Like I never actually really felt emotion in my life until I was pushed to actually feel things. And I think that was the biggest life-changing moment because I can like, because of those three months in that fucking, you know, outpatient, I now know how to, you know, be emotional and like be like, sit here and be like, I'm sad. Like, this isn't just something that I'm feeling because of this. This isn't just a direct feeling because I was doing this. Like, no, I'm sad because I'm sad. And like, that was the biggest thing because that happened. The song Insight that I wrote is about that. But I mean, I was 18 when that happened. So it was like, I learned how to feel emotion at 18. Thus far, my my most life-changing moment was in Seattle when everyone 
uh, sang me happy birthday and I did I was about to walk off stage and then someone just started it and then they finished it and I cried and um, I thanked them it was really special because that's never happened before and um, that was my favorite My most life-changing moment was when I used to live in Mexico. I used to go to college over there. I was actually kidnapped for three days by Mexican cartel. Uh, yeah, that was probably most life-changing, most life. My, my, my most life-exchanging or my crazy story of my life, I guess you can say. Uh, I guess I was just being at the wrong place at the wrong time. I never thought it could happen just like normal ass people, I guess, because you always see it on TV just happening to like fucking rich ass people. You know, people that are at the end of the day are like somewhat cross inter, like, you know, yeah, they're influential or like they're connected to these people somehow or somewhere. But I was going to college. I was kicking it with my cousin. My cousin's a baseball player in Mexico, and uh, no names. <laughs> and, uh, and a couple of other friends that used to go to college with me. And then I was like around 20, 19 or 20. And dude, this is actually, this, is, this should be a fucking movie. <laughs> this sounds like a movie. Uh, we, smoking, we were smoking weed at my fucking apartment. I used to live like three blocks or four blocks away from where I went to college and shit. So my crib was known as the, because in Mexico everybody's so conservative and shit like that, you know what I'm saying? So everybody was like, oh, you smoke weed and shit. So there was like a certain group of people that smoke weed. So my apartment was known as a pothead, fucking, uh, essentially, whatever. And then I was like, oh, you're going to yeah, Julian's crib? Oh, you're going to go smoke? You're going to go smoke? And blah, blah, blah. So that day after school, it was like, I think it, it was about to be like uh, Christmas break or some shit like that. And there was like five, six people in my crib. And they're all, one of them my cousin, one of them three close friends of mine, and another one was my roommate. It's, and no names again. <laughs> and uh, uh, so we were all smoking and shit. And I used to live in a fucking apartment complex that had top 12 rooms all. And that's it. Just 12 rooms, the whole apartment complex. It was just a small apartment complex. And it had this big-ass gate at the front, but you couldn't see through it. It was, like, just a big gate, like, a kind of like a big-ass door, like, that, that was, like, six foot tall and shit. But it was, like, a sliding door because it was, like, a kind of, like, a garage right there where I would park. Anyways, they're knocking on the door. So every time you had a visitor, either you had to call them so you can go open the, the gate or they had to call you or they were going to bang on the door until, like, somebody came to the door and, like, they went to your room or whatever, you know? So they hear this fucking banging on the door, da, 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 and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And I'm like, looking, my, by then, this apartment that I just moved in with my friend had tinfoil on the windows, all tinfoil on the windows, so no fucking sun could come in. A lot of Mexican people do that. No pun intended, but. <laughs> Wait, why? Yeah. So, just so the sun doesn't come in. Plus, it's super hot, so it keeps the fucking cold in. So they put tinfoil on the paper. So I couldn't see shit. I just could hear the banging on the door and just like hella smoke in my fucking, in my fucking, like, in my crib. And just like with my my cousin and my and like my friends chilling and shit, and I'm like, you hear that bang? And we're playing music and shit, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And by then, this is actually the first time when I started smoking weed. When I got out of college and I moved to Mexico, this is like the first couple of weeks that I started smoking weed. And I just started smoking heavily, like right when I started smoking. I never smoked in my entire life until I started going to college. And then I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I and there was this little piece of the fucking tinfoil that was ripped that I, you could see your like you can peep through it. Kind of like a door hole and shit. 
And like I was looking through it and I couldn't see shit. And I was like, all right, whatever. And I could just hear their banging again. Ta, ta, ta. I can shorten the story if you want me to. No. Okay, and I'm just like banging on the door. Ta, ta. And I'm like, what, what the fuck is going on? And I'm just like, I see through the pit hole again. And then I see Mexican military. I see the guys with the fucking, with the fucking, <laughs> like hell, like the helmet, the fucking bulletproof vest, fucking big ass AK, like you know, it's just like military shit, like decked out military. And I'm high as shit. <laughs> and there's like a pound of weed in my kitchen. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on, dude? I grab everybody's joint because everybody's smoking their own shit. I have this little cooler, the small coolers that that was like up to the top with the weed. I grab everything, everything, everything out of the fucking, I throw it all in this cooler, I grab the cooler, I run to the back, and to the back, there was this, I lived in the first floor, and there was, and this building was a two-story uh, building. Yeah. So, in the back is where they have those things where you can wash your mop and shit. Yeah. So, that shit went all the way to the, and it had no roof, like, that was the only thing that it wasn't roofed, like, it was like a kind of like a small cubicle, like, outside. Got it was it. a weird, like, place, you had to see it to understand more. And I grab that shit and I throw the cooler up and it goes up to the roof and it just stays at the roof and I'm just like, I don't give a fuck about that weed. And it was like a pound of weed there. I was like, I don't care about the fucking weed. Next thing I know, I'm in that little cubicle outside thinking, should I just go to the roof and run? Like, I'm so scared at this point. At this moment, I hear the fucking military going to my fucking apartment. And through the, my back, there's a window that went through my fucking roommate's window that his door was open that it went straight to our fucking living room. So from the, all the way to the back, I could see it straight to my living room, you know? And I see a fucking guy standing in the middle with the fucking gun like this. Like, get everybody, get out of the house and shit. I was like, <laughs> ain't shocked, dude. I was just like, like, what the fuck do I do? Like, my cousin was already outside. My fucking roommate has just gotten out of the shower. He was with a, 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 a towel like on his yeah. fucking like <laughs> his waist and shit. And I'm in the back with one of my friends like, dude, should we run? And the only thing I can think of, I was like, if I run, would they think I'm somebody and they try to shoot me in the back? Like, yeah. I was like, fuck this. And I was like, everybody, everybody at the house. And they asked my, my cousin, I was like, who's in the house? It was like, it's like, there's two more people. So they knew for sure that I was like, because I can hear him. Like, the, yeah. my apartment was so small that like, you can hear everything, you know what I'm saying? And then I was like, what the fuck? And then they came in, they searched like our entire apartment and shit. And I ended up finding out that one of the guys in the fucking roof like, not in the roof, but one of the guys that lived, uh, like, above us was, like, a huge, like, cartel dude. And they found, like, fucking, like, that, like, fucking tons of fucking coke and dollars, like, like US dollars, guns, and all this shit in his apartment. And I was friends with this dude, because I didn't know he was into that shit. Yeah. But every day, he would come in with, the, like, the crazy-ass car and shit, and I just had an idea. I was like, this dude must be doing some, like, cricket and shit, you know what I'm saying? But I never knew. And that night... One of the cartel dudes came to our apartment because he knew that we knew him. He knew that he talked to us. And it's because I talked to the dude that they got, when he got put in, the, like when he, they took him in, when they brought him in, he said my name. He's like, no, no, this is all lies. Like Julian knows that this is all a lie. He's the only person that can remember my name. Like I was the only one who talked to out of the whole fucking apartment. And he said my name. So the dude, one of the cartel dudes came to my apartment and shit. And he's like, Yo, it's like, are you Julian and shit? And I was like, yeah, it's like, I'm Julian. And I was like, well, El Gordo dijo tu nombre. And I was like, that dude said your name and shit. And then I was like, we need you to do something for us and all this other shit. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, I'm like, I open the door of my apartment. And this just walks in, in my house. And then I'm standing at the door with the door open. And this dude is like sitting on my couch already telling me all this stuff while I'm like 
just sitting at the door with the whole the door open. I'm like, I'm like, and then like I don't know, he just pulls out like a whop of cash. Like I never seen so much cash in my life. Just put it in my phone. He's like, this is for you. And I was like, wow. It's like tomorrow is gonna go your car picking you up. Blah 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 blah. Like this is the cell phone that you're gonna be using. They gave me a cell phone. All this other shit. Me and my roommate were involved in this shit because we were both like witness up to their eyes and shit. What? <laughs> so I'm like, whoa, dude, like, what the fuck is going on? Couldn't sleep for like weeks and shit. And like, after that, the next day they picked, they called us and shit. By, by the way, this is the funniest thing and the stupidest thing I ever done. That night, that money that they gave me, I went to the club and I bought fucking bottles and bottles and bottles and bottles with that money that they gave me. So you blew all the money. I blew all the money that the they money gave me. The club. <laughs> that night. <laughs> oh my god, I'm never gonna forget that. Uh, and the next day we were supposed to go to a different city because they wanted us to testify in a fucking judge thing. I guessed it. And they wanted us, they took me to a different city, they drove me to a different city. Right when I was about to go to like into a fucking court house, pretty much, a crooked ass fucking uh, lawyer took me to a side and told me this whole story that I needed to say. It's like you're gonna say this, 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 this. You got there, supplied, these guys were playing dominoes, told a bullshit story. You know what I'm saying? And this guy, I'm like, right next to the courthouse, and I'm in a fucking alley with a fucking cartel dude and some fucking crooked ass lawyer. <laughs> so I go in and then we do all that shit uh, we come back out they take us to this big ass fucking dinner like expensive ass fucking dinner in Mexico and shit in a different city three hours away from where we lived and then the way back uh, there's this dude and I was like yeah Julian you're gonna be driving the whole time and shit on the way back and I'm like alright like what the fuck and this dude started getting so fucked up and he had a fucking revolver right here on his leg he was doing lines of coke up the fucking ass and he was sitting right behind me and my friend was sitting co-piloting me and this dude i can see like his fucking like gun right here and like he just pulled out a bunch of coke and shit and he made me start to get a 30 pack and shit and he's just like getting mad fucking drunk and shit in the back of my seat and it's like if cops stops us don't even worry about it we're good and shit like ain't nothing that can happen to us right now we did what we needed to do and shit going to this other city and shit. like the whole time that i was driving back and I could see this dude in the rearview mirror with like getting fucking faded as fuck. I was like, yo, this nigga's gonna shoot me in the head right now. That's, there was no, and there was no, not another thought in my head that this dude's just gonna get fucked up, told me pull over and gun shoot me. Like that was the fucking, oh the th three longest hours of my fucking life. Like, how- Was your roommate scared? We were both like just silent as fuck. Like, we didn't even know what to say. Like we. we we didn't know what to conversate with this nigga, you know what yeah. I'm saying? This nigga kills people and shit. Like, I don't know. For me, that was like the most like psychological shit, like mind shit. Like, wait, so wait, so you get home? So I get home and they're just like watching us for like a straight week, like making shit. Like I wouldn't not want to do whatever they told me because ma it made me feel like, well, what if they thought I was the one saying like telling on them or yeah, some yeah, shit, yeah. you know? So for like weeks, they're just fucking they just like, I go outside my house and they're right there.
I think part of the reason it was so hard for me to complete this episode was because once I asked the question, what's been your most life-changing moment thus far, I realized that at the end of this episode, it was going to be my turn to answer that question. And I think I was a little bit scared to share my story. So bear with me. (laughs) Here it goes. Um, My most life-changing moment thus far was St. Patrick's Day of 2015, March 17th. Um, I was sitting at the Hudson, which is a restaurant in Los Angeles with a group of my girlfriends. We were celebrating St. Patrick's Day with St. Patrick's Day drink specials and appetizers and giggles and laughs and stories. And um, I got a call from my dad. And when he called me, I kind of knew before I answered the phone that something was wrong. So I got up from the table and I answered the phone and he, he sounded really distant and he sounded really cold and he asked me to come home. He said he was having a difficult time and he needed me to come home. Now the thing is, is my dad has not once since I moved out of the house at age 18, has he asked me to come home. Not when I was in college, not when I have been on tour or living in Los Angeles or has my dad ever asked me to come home. Um, But he did. He said, I need you to come home. Could you get on a plane in the next hour? I've already bought your plane ticket. And I kept trying to ask him, you know, why? What's going on? What's wrong? I don't understand. He was like, I just need you to come home. I'm having a difficult time. I need you here. So I got up from the table and I went back to my apartment and I packed up my things and I got in an Uber and I went to the airport and the whole time I was thinking to myself, he's sick. He's going to tell me he's sick. He's going to tell me he has a week left to live. He's going to tell me, you know, there's something wrong with him. And I was so scared because my dad is the most important person in my life. Like my dad is my everything. So I was so scared that something was wrong. So he picked me up from the airport and he met me at the gate and his face was just sunk. Like there, it looked like there wasn't any life in it. And so we're standing at the baggage claim and I, and I just, you know, kept pressing him. What's, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's happened? What's wrong? And he was like, we'll talk about it in the car as well. We'll talk about it in the car. So we get in the car and we are, um, exiting the airport and he pulls off right as you go to pull out of the airport and he starts to tell me a story um, about my mom and I knew before the story was over that she had passed away Um, I knew that she had died well, without getting into the details, mostly because I, you know, even after a year and a half, I, I'm still not really comfortable talking about them. Um, my mom had decided that day to take her own life and my dad had found her. And I sat there in the car while he told me this story. And I knew right then and there that my whole life was different and that it was never going to be the same. And it hasn't been. You know, uh, my mom and I had had a very estranged relationship. There were a lot of things left unsaid between the two of us. 
um, you know, I always had assumed that we would get the opportunity to talk about them. I, I moved back to New Mexico for seven months. We started the process of packing up her things and, you know, saying goodbye. Um, sorry. <laughs> it, everything changed. But on a more lighter note, with that change and that heartbreak um, also came enlightenment and, and now, down the line, gratitude for the lessons that I've been forced to learn in the wake of such a horrible situation. Um, I surrounded myself with love and I surrounded myself with positivity and there were some people that couldn't handle it and they left and there were some people that came into my life to hold me even tighter. And through the incredible support system and friends and family around me, I've, I've made it through. And I've had a really wonderful few months and I laugh and I smile and I, I have this job that I love with, with my best friend and my partner and my other half. And I have these incredible friends and, you know, they really helped me ride through this. So it was the most life-changing moment because I lost, you know, my mom, but... I also gained an appreciation for the people around me and an appreciation for the importance of treating everyone around you with so much love and respect because you don't know when it's, if, if it might be the last time. And, and also, you know, realizing that life is this precious thing and, and that we can't just waste it. You know, like you have to appreciate every day and you have to appreciate every person. And I'm sure I'm going to listen back on this and it's going to be rambling. But, you know, here it is. This is this is my my stab at trying to tell you guys the story. But I don't know. Love each other. As cliche as it sounds, love each other, because love is what makes the world go round. And with that being said, thank you so much for listening. Um to my story and and so many others. I promise you I'm going to be better about this podcast. I promise you you're not going to have to wait like two and a half months for for episode four. Um, tweet at me, message me, let me know your thoughts. Let me know if you have ideas. Let me know your question ideas. I want this to be interactive. I want this to be not just my podcast. I want this to be our podcast. So thank you and I love you all and I hope you have an absolutely phenomenal day, week, and hopefully not a full month before I get to uh, deliver you guys episode four. Mwah!